make sure I have this contraption turned on. It's kind of this, this thing's kind of scary to me, to be honest with you. But <laughs> just be sure and remind me to uh, turn it off before we have our closing hymn. <laughs> so that would be the opposite of special music, I would say. <clears throat> Back when we first were starting down this process and we were without a pastor, uh, Tom asked if I would be willing. If we ended up with a snow day and the speaker wasn't able to get out, if I would be willing to, to speak. And I said, oh, sure, I'm willing to do that, no problem. And you, you do that always thinking, well, it probably will never happen. And then we get to the very last Sunday before pa- Pastor John comes, and, and uh, guess what? Here I am. But really, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to share from the Word of God. And what I thought I would do this morning... And really, uh, when Tom first mentioned that to be ready to do this, I've thought about a number of different things that I'd speak on. And it's changed as time has gone by. And what I thought I would do this morning is to do something that I have always greatly enjoyed, and that is to do a brief character study of one of the Old Testament Bible characters. I've always enjoyed character studies. Um, the, the New Testament actually encourages us to do this. If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it talks about Moses and the events of the, um, of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea and many of those things that happened during that time. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, these things happened as examples unto us, that we could learn from that. And I believe that that is very true, that there's a great deal that we can learn from the Old Testament Bible characters, and that from time to time that we should do that. Now, in doing a character study, it probably would lend itself best to a series. You know, if you had really the character I'm picking out this morning, I'm sure that you could really take several months and every Sunday build upon it and look at different events within this individual's life. Well, thankfully, I don't have several months to to work with with this. But it's snowy outside, and I don't have anything to do this afternoon. What about you guys? Just teasing. We're going to uh, look at this one Bible character and a couple of events within his life and draw some lessons from that that hopefully we can apply to our lives uh, just to be of a real encouragement and help to us as believers as we walk week by week. And oftentimes, though, I think that we look back at the old Testament Bible characters, and we actually take a little bit of a wrong view of them. We look back and we see their lives and the stories that are told of them in the Old Testament, and somehow we look upon them as being special, as being superhuman, that they were able to do that, but I never could. We look upon them in a different way, and we really shouldn't. Because those, uh, the Bible characters that we see in the Old Testament, they were mere humans, just like you and I. They had their failings, they had their problems, but they were individuals that learned how to trust God and allow God to work through them in such a way that he was able to demonstrate his power. And God can do the same in our lives, too, if we will be yielded unto him and allow his work within our lives. So the individual that we want to look at this morning is Joshua. Joshua is one of my favorite Bible characters. I think there's an awful lot that we can learn from him. 
But we want to begin this morning actually in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Because one of the uh, characteristics of Joshua that we see that just comes out to me as I read the story of his life and the things that went on, it becomes very obvious that he was a man of great faith and a man of great courage. And his faith really stands out to me. And we see the importance of faith here in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we understand the importance of faith within our lives. And I'm going to just read a couple of verses here. But in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders received witness. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on and he begins to give different examples of faith. In verse 4 it says, By faith Abel offered a more, unto God a more excellent sacrifice. He goes on and talks about Enoch. And then follows that with Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the parents of Moses. Moses, and then down in verse number 30, we find that it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Here, Joshua is not mentioned by name, but one of the events that took place in his life is mentioned by name. The walls of Jericho fell down. And one of the things that we are going to find as we look at Joshua is that he was a man of war, a military man. He was a, uh, a warrior, if you would. And I'm sure that for Joshua, that as he crossed the Jordan River and he looked at the obstacle of the city of, of Jericho that was there, that in his mind he came up with different military strategies of how he might attack that city. Would it be best to lay siege? Would they do a frontal attack? What would they do? And I bet one of the last things that would have ever come to his mind would have been, let's march around the city and let's blow on the trumpets. And yet, by faith, he believed God. He believed what God told him to do, that that was the right thing to do, and the walls of the city. And it became a great victory uh, for the children of Israel under the leadership of Joshua. So the first time that Joshua clearly comes into view within the Scripture is back in the book of Exodus. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus to begin with this morning, and we're just going to look at a couple of different places and learn some different lessons, if you would, from uh, the life of Joshua here this morning. The book of Exodus, chapter 17. So Joshua experienced all of the events that took place with the Exodus. He was a slave in Egypt along with the other children of Israel. He experienced those hardships and those problems and all the things that they went through. He saw the power of God demonstrated as God brought the plagues upon the land of Egypt. He saw the greatness of God with the deliverance from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea the children of Israel walking across on the dry land. He saw the uh, armies of Pharaoh destroyed. 
as the waters came back. All of that had already transpired within the life of Joshua. The children of Israel are free now from Pharaoh. They're in the wilderness. They're beginning their journey. And I'm sure that some of them might have thought that life's going to be easy now. We're free from that slavery. We're going to a land that God has promised us. But they were soon to find out there would be many problems and conflicts and and difficulties that would face them along the way as well. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 17 and verse number 8, it says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses, But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua vanquished Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. So this is the first time that Joshua clearly comes into view within the scripture. And here a physical battle takes place. And Moses has Joshua choose out men to go out and fight the battle. And yet Moses, Aaron, and Hur go up on top of the mountain. And whenever Moses holds up the rod of God, Joshua and the armies of Israel prevailed. Whenever his hands came down, the Amaleks prevailed. And you know, as I was reading that, it really speaks to me of... of, uh, uh, the importance of intercessory prayer on our part for others. You know, not every one of us is going to be in the middle of the battle every day. Our missionaries are around the world. We support missionaries in various places. We're not there, but we, they, in order for them to be successful, we need to be holding them up with prayer. Our new pastor is going to be here this next week. Uh, Tom and I had a brief meeting with him Thursday when he came down to uh, bring part of his stuff. And one thing I can tell you, he's excited to be here, don't you think, Tom? He's looking forward to it. He's anxious. He's ready to, to, to start. And um, he wants the ministry to be successful. One of the things that we need to do in order to make sure that the ministry is successful is that we hold him up continually in our prayers. We need to pray for him all the time. And here within this story, we see that when Moses was able to hold up the rod of God, that Joshua and the armies of Israel prevailed. And we were in a spiritual battle the same way that they were in a physical battle at that point in time. And our church is going to be successful. Our pastor is going to be successful if we continually hold our pastor up in prayer, hold one another up in prayer as well. The next time that we see that Joshua comes into the forethought of, uh, of the scripture is actually over in the book of Numbers. If you would switch over to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. When we get to Numbers, chapter 13, there's approximately two years that has transpired from the time the children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea 
until they come to Kadesh Barnea. God has done some miraculous things within the children of Israel during that two-year period of time. During that two years, not only did they see the parting of the Red Sea and able to walk across on the dry land, during that time they built the, uh, uh, the tabernacle. God gave his law. They were fed miraculously from heaven with manna each day. They received water from the rock. All of these things had taken place, and now they come to Kadesh Barnea. And in chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, the Lord speaks into, Noah, uh, into Moses in verse number 1, and he tells Moses to choose out men, one man from each of the 12 tribes, a leader from each of those tribes, and those 12 men are to go in and spy out the land to see what it's really like. Among the 12 that are ch chosen is Joshua and Caleb. Caleb we will find to be an individual that is very much a part of Joshua's life throughout his uh, this time and also as he becomes the successor to Moses, the leader of Israel that leads them across the Jordan to possess the land. So these 12 are chosen out. And if you read down in about the middle of the chapter, about uh, verse 17, Moses instructs them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into the land. I want you to see what it's really like. Is it a barren land or is it a fruitful land? What are the inhabitants, the people of the land like? Do they live in encampments or do they live in walled cities? What is it like? And so they are to go and, and, and to spy out the land. And as they go, we read on in the chapter, we find that they go and they find a land that they describe as a land that is flowing with milk and honey. It's a fruitful land. It's a, a very prosperous land. They find a, uh, a bunch of grapes that is so large that they tie it onto a rod and two men carry it. And they carry it back as evidence of, of what is there and what the land is really like. And we'll pick up reading in verse number 26. And this is when the spies have gone in, they've come back, and they begin to deliver the report. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel into the wilderness of Paran at, to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land to which thou sent us. And surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountain, and the Canaanites by the sea and by the edge of the Jordan. So they come back and they give this report, and they say it's a wonderful land. It's a land as though it was flowing with milk and honey. But the inhabitants are very strong. We can't do it. And immediately notice in verse number 30 that Caleb comes to the forefront. We will find later Joshua joins with him. But Caleb immediately comes to the forefront in verse 30, and, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once 
and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Let's go now. It's time. God has given it to us. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than, than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, who, were, who come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They said, yeah, it's truly a great land, but the people there are strong. In fact, there's giants that live in the land. There's no way that we can do it. The lack of faith, the lack of trust that they had in what God was telling them to do. We continue on in chapter 14, and it says, And all the congregation lift up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were of them that searched the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is a very good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they, that, for they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. So as the congregation, as all the children of Israel were saying, we can't do it, we need to re just return to the, to the land of Egypt, return to slavery. Joshua and Caleb stand up and encourage them. We can. God will give it to us. When God promises something, we know that it will be true. And by faith, we can do it. But the congregation in verse number 10 demanded to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. They didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. In fact, they would have stoned them. They would have killed them, except for the Lord would have intervened. We can look back at the children of Israel, we condemn them for their lack of faith and we praise Joshua and Caleb for their faith and their willingness to trust God. And yet in our own lives, it's so easy, I think, a lot of times that we would fall into the same trap and the 
place that the children of Israel were in rather than where Joshua and Caleb were at. That we fail to trust God in the way that we should. Now, faith is so very important. Faith was important for Joshua. It's one of the keys that you see within his life. Faith is important to us as well. Now, I have no doubt for those of us that are gathered here this morning that all of us believe in God. All of us believe in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. We believe that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again again the third day. And we believe that salvation is of faith, and because of that, our eternal destiny is secure. But that's not where faith ends. That's really the beginning place of where faith starts. Let me tell you a little story that took place many years ago in my childhood, and maybe this will kind of illustrate what I'm trying to say. As most of you realize, know that I I grew up on a ranch up in northwestern Colorado, not too awful far from the little town of Yampa. Um, my dad, my granddad had had a ranch, and then my dad had a ranch, and we lived there on the ranch. Uh, my dad actually sold the ranch when I was, uh, right after I completed the eighth grade, and he went to Denver, we moved to Denver, and he went to uh, Bible college and then became a uh, pastor and was a pastor for many years. But the first early part of my life was spent there on the ranch in the mountains. And I remember when I was probably about eight, nine years old, my dad and a friend had been hunting up on the mountain that day. And they got two deer. And they didn't have pack horses with them, so they came back to the ranch. And my dad told me I could go with them. And they were going to go back up on the mountain and get these two deer. And so they saddled up my horse. We got a couple of pack horses. We headed up the mountain where the deer were at, got them loaded up, and got ready to head back down the mountain. By that time, it got dark. And it was one of those nights that was really dark. There wasn't a moon. There was a little bit of cloud cover. You couldn't see the stars. And it was dark. And one of the things that kind of complicated coming back down off the mountain. It's from where the deer were at, where we uh, loaded them up, come back around to the, to the ranch. There was a bench along the mountainside, that we, the trail that went along there. <clears throat> and we had to come back around that bench and then drop down to get back down to the, uh, to the house. Well, on the right side going down, all the way along this bench, was, which was probably about a half mile long, it just dropped off. There was a cliff on most of it, or it just dropped off very steeply. On the other side of the bench, the mountain went up in the air uh, fairly steeply on the other side, but the nice trail that you could ride around there. And I can remember it was dark enough that when we, were, we started, you could not tell where the edge of the cliff was and where the trail was. There was no way. It just looked black. And you could look down below in the valley and you could see the lights of the ranch and a few other ranches that were around. That's all that you could see. And as we started, my dad said, now I want you to have your horse behind mine. And you just give your horse his head. The horses can see better than we can see and they know the trail a lot better than we can see. We do. And if we just let them have their heads and come down, we'll 
be fine. And we started down the trail, and it was an eerie feeling because you really didn't know, couldn't see, couldn't tell exactly where the trail was. You couldn't see where the edge of the cliff was. But my dad knew that if you started to fight with your horse, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble at that point in time. So I said, let your horse have the reins, have his head, let him go where he wants to go. That goes a little bit against who I am because I want to be in control. I want to be in control of my horse. When we're driving, uh, I want to be the one that drives. Uh, Kathleen is a very good driver, but uh, there are times she doesn't drive quite like I do. I want to be in control. I want to be the one that drives. But you know, the very same thing is true within our lives in a spiritual sense. And by the way, we rode around the trail and down the mountain and was through the house and got the deer taken care of and was at the supper table before you knew it. The horses knew where they were going and they knew the trail and it wasn't a problem. But if we had taken hold of the reins of the horse and thought that we knew the best way to go, we could have got things into a big problem. The thing, same thing is true within our lives spiritually. We need to be willing to yield the reins of our life unto the Lord on a daily basis so that he's controlling the things that we're doing rather than ourselves. But in reality, what we do, like I said, I like to be in control. What we do what we tend to do, we're saved. We have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But on those daily things of our lives, with our family, with our work, with all the different things that are going on, we know the principles and the commands of the Scripture. But instead of by faith, walking exactly the way the Lord would want us to on those, we tend to want to take control and say, no, it's going this direction that would be best. Kind of like Joshua when he got to the city of Jericho. I'm sure there were military ways that he could have figured out that would have been the best to have conquered the city. God said, march around the city. March around the city and blow the horns. And it's important for us in the same way to obey the Lord and by faith to trust him and allow him to have control and the reins of our life. Back in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and verse number 6, it says, For without faith it is impossible to please God. It emphasizes the importance of faith within our lives today. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word, all that you have for us within your word all the things that we can learn from the lives of these individuals from, from the Scripture, from the Old Testament. Pray that you would encourage us with the life of Joshua this morning, encourage us with the thoughts of, of how he was a man of, of faith and courage and was willing to believe you and believe the promises that you made and encourage us to do the same within our own lives today. Be with us as we go our separate ways this morning. Give each one safety on the roads as we uh, head back home. And be with those that are unable to be with us this morning. Bless them today as well. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.